Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. The reading is from Matthew 26, verses 30 to 45, to be found on page 1006. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. This very night before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you keep watch with me for one hour? he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much, Anne. And good morning, everyone. Uh, it's lovely to see you all. 
They say, don't they, there are no atheists in foxholes. There are no atheists in foxholes. Don't know whether it's a, a phrase that you're familiar with, the foxhole, if you don't know, is a military term. It refers to hole in the ground, used by troops to shelter from the enemy. And it's newly familiar if you've been following pictures of the Ukraine war. And the idea is that when a person's life is in real, real danger, ultimately, they will ask God for help. There are no atheists in foxholes. It's kind of a paraphrase, really, of this basic idea. In the end, ultimately, everybody prays. In the end, ultimately, everybody prays. And I think that's probably true. Uh, And in a room like this, it's almost guaranteed to be true, Uh, even if you're not sure about the Christian faith. And by the way, if that's you, you're very welcome here this morning. It's fantastic to have you with us as you're thinking through these questions. Most likely, at some point, you have prayed. So as we begin this new year in our church's life, we've got this long focus throughout the year on prayer. I think we are talking about something that all of us, at some level, can relate to. And if you would call yourself a Christian, uh, all the more so, you will have discovered that prayer is perhaps one of the most basic building blocks of genuine everyday spirituality. So you might say a Christian, being a Christian, is knowing God, having a relationship with him. Well, if that's the case, then talking to him is really where that idea becomes a reality or not. Whether or not we pray is is one of the best functional tests of whether we believe God is actually there and interested. And I know for many of us, it's actually the deepest and richest part of our lives as Christians as well, to speak to our creator. So I I really hope this theme for the year is something that's really going to draw us in. And as we start this uh, series in uh, the Lord's Prayer, sorry, it's the second week, this one, um, it's really going to give us something to connect with. But I'm sure you feel, like I do, that prayer is also a challenge. Don't really need to say it, but prayer is not automatic, is it? Even if we don't all do it. We don't always pray when we should. And then even when we do pray, we can get prayer wrong. In fact, we do get prayer wrong. How do I know that? Well, uh, Matthew 6, if you want to turn to it, it's where the Lord's Prayer uh, is printed. Uh, It's there in your Bibles. You might find it on your phone. Matthew 6, Lord Jesus taught about prayer and the implications of his various negative instructions that he gave before uh, the Lord's Prayer starts. When you pray, don't do this, don't do that is that, at least there were some people, he could see, the hypocrites as he called them, who were getting prayer wrong. Now these people, uh, we're told in the earlier verses of Matthew 6, they weren't too bothered about what God uh, was concerned about. Uh, They weren't really bothered about who's on the end of the prayer phone, as it it were. They were mainly praying for their own benefit, to have other people see them and get human credit. And Jesus talks about this wrong prayer to his disciples. He says, "Don't, don't do that. And presumably he talks to his disciples because he thinks you guys might actually end up doing this. This might be a danger for you too. Now, when I talk about wrong prayer, I'm not saying we should get frightfully worried about it. There's great freedom in prayer. So much we can give to to the Lord in prayer. But if Jesus had to teach us this way, it suggests we do need guidance. So I want to say, and I'm sure you do too, at the beginning of this year, as Jesus' disciples, we want to say, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. And today, as you've heard a number of times, we're looking at that little snippet of the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is, if you like, the positive equivalent of the negative commands that come before. So when he's telling these uh, hypocrites, as he say, to stop being concerned about themselves, he now says, 
Be concerned for the concerns of God. And I want to suggest that this kind of prayer is longing for the kingdom and it's aligning with the king. Longing for the kingdom and aligning with the king. Let's take those in turn. First of all, prayer is longing for the kingdom. Prayer is longing for the kingdom. Jesus teaches us in prayer to ask of God, may your kingdom come. May your kingdom come. Now, what does that mean? Well, I think it is a little bit like when I sit down with Imogen, our fourth child, to read a book. And this is something that will not go on for very much longer, I fear, as she keeps wanting to read herself. But for now, I absolutely love it. We sit down and we're reading a favorite book of hers. And she says, let's go to the next page. Let's go to the next page. Of course she does. She knows the story. She knows the end. She loves the end. And she'd like us to move along to get to that end. And in the same way, your kingdom come speaks of our longing, our desire, for the great story of all time, God's story, to go to the next page. To the next page, because that's a page closer to the end. It's glorious conclusion, when our God will reign completely and visibly in every dimension of existence. And we want to get there. So your kingdom come has that long-term sense. We are saying, Lord, I long for your kingdom to come completely. We're saying, for example, Lord, bring us to a new Eden when we're going to walk again with you in the same garden as it were, when we hear your voice with perfect clarity, when we know you intimately. Or if you think about it in the terms of the, the kingdom of Israel, we're saying, Lord, we want to go to a time when there is a perfect king enthroned over your people. Ultimate righteousness done. Every life flourishes because everyone bends in obedience to a good and loving God. That's what we mean when we say your kingdom come. And we could go on. When we think of that long-term picture, we're longing for the day when all pain and decay will cease. That'll be a great day, won't it? We're longing for the day when there'll be no more misunderstanding and division. We're longing for inequality and oppression to be a thing of the past. And we say, your kingdom come. We're longing for uh, this physical world to be remade and no longer in peril of ecological destruction. That's the long-term horizon, your kingdom come. So in that sense, your kingdom come is a prayer for us to get to the end of the book. But in another sense, it has a kind of day-by-day, page-by-page sense. So we might be saying, Lord, Please bring about the next step in your kingdom. The advance of an earthly kingdom is a relatively obvious thing. So again, if you've watched some of the conflicts of the world, you'll know the great stories about the flag that gets placed somewhere. And everyone says, ah, now this belongs to that kingdom. But Jesus taught about God's kingdom that it wasn't so obvious. He said the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is. Because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Now, as you can imagine, theologians have argued a little bit about exactly what he meant uh, by that. I think this much is pretty clear. The kingdom of God is not something really obvious and structural out there. You had people, in Jesus' day, they were expecting national and political change. They thought God was going to roll back the occupying Romans. 
uh, from the land of Israel. And Jesus was saying, look, the kingdom of God is not coming with chariots. It's not coming with spears. It's not a change of regime. It's, it's not when, you know, the current government gets kicked out and the new one comes in, whatever we may be thinking about the election this year. God's kingdom takes place in our hearts. In fact, God's kingdom is the place where Jesus is acknowledged as king. It's relatively simple. And the kingdom of God therefore comes when our hearts say, Lord, I am yours. Jesus, you are also my king. My life is yours. That's the advance of the kingdom. So your kingdom come means, amongst other things, Lord, bring my brother or sister to faith in you. Lord, bring my colleague or my neighbor to Christ. It means, Lord, let your name be spoken and praised in the families across our borough. It means may our church deepen in, in discipleship, grow in number as you are our sovereign. It means may the gospel, the good news of King Jesus, go out to all the ends of the earth, all the people groups who haven't even heard about him, including uh, a number right here in Croydon who don't know about him. All those things are your kingdom come. And they all start with the heart. Which, by the way, is why in our vision statement we have this idea of Christ-centered revival. Uh, Because we believe that the world out there changes only when the world in here, in ourselves, changes. And nothing will change out there until our own hearts are enlarged with an ambition and the change that the Lord wants to bring about them. So prayer is longing for the kingdom. So just before we move on, let me ask, is your prayer longing for the kingdom? I want you to think for a moment, and really do this, think back to the last time you prayed. Was this this morning, or in the car on the way to work? What were you praying for? And where was there that longing for the kingdom? And if you're not sure, perhaps think about, what would it look like for me from now on to pray with a longing for God's kingdom? to come. Okay, so that's the the longing for the kingdom. That's the first thing. Second, prayer is aligning with the king. Aligning with the king. We are to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't know what you think of in in the most simple terms when you think of prayer. I think the caricature of prayer is the shopping list, right? Dear Lord, Uh, I've got a busy day ahead of me. Please, would you give me another 30 minutes from out of nowhere in this day? Please, would be quite fun. Help me not to get too annoyed with that person. And actually, I really pray they have that fabric conditioner at that supermarket because I don't want to go there and then have to go to the other place and they might not have it as well and that'd be really tedious. That's kind of sort of, those are the kind of prayers that we make, don't we? And that's kind of okay. Except the Lord's Prayer, whilst it's not unconcerned with our own desires and we get onto that, you know, uh, give us our daily bread. It starts off very much teaching us that in prayer we align with God's desires. And the reading that we've just had is like the supreme scriptural example of that. Jesus is there, he's facing the agony of the cross, moment of massive personal cost. And yet he says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And that's in a sense, what the Lord's Prayer is saying. Your will be done. And he doesn't say this, but it might as well. Your will be done, that is, your will, not mine. Your will, not mine. So we are aligning ourselves with the king. Now, in order to understand this with a bit bit more depth, we've got to just 
piles apart this word, your will. Will. What do we mean? We, when we speak about God's will, we really mean two things. We mean, on the one hand, his sovereign will. What he says is going to happen in the world. It's sometimes called his secret will. Secret because God doesn't necessarily share with us in advance, or indeed in retrospect, exactly what he is doing. And so, in a strange way, sometimes, for at least some of the time, when we say, your will be done, we're actually, we actually have no idea what we're asking. We are asking that God do the thing that he's going to do, which he may or may not explain to us. So we're not really asking for change in this particular part of the Lord's Prayer. God will always do his sovereign will. What we're really saying is, well, may my desires align with yours. Lord, it's, my, it's, it's your world, it's not mine. And you're in charge, I'm going to take today, this week, this month, I'm going to take the circumstances and the opportunities you have determined. I believe you're good, whether I can see that today or not. Even when it looks like the very opposite, I, I accept them, I will trust you, I'm going your way. Your will be done. And that, you know, can be a real battle. I'm sure we've all felt that. Uh, sometimes your will be done is, is, needs to really wrestle with bitterness against God. You know, perhaps uh, we've gone God's way and it seems to have worked out as being pretty costly or damaging to us. And perhaps we're struggling to accept the will of God as a good thing. And so we have to say your will is done and it's difficult. Or saying your will be done may be a struggle against our need for control. Um, perhaps we've become insanely busy or fraught with worry in our lives because we're just trying to wrestle to keep everything together. And saying your will be done is a little bit like prizing our hands off the steering wheel of our circumstances. And that's not easy. <coughs> your will be done. It's an acceptance of God's control over our circumstances. And then second... It is a desire to see God's will obeyed. That's the other side of God's will. We've got his secret, sovereign will. It's what he ordains is going to happen. And then there's his moral will. That's what we know he commands us to do in Scripture. We know he wants us to do it. We don't necessarily do it. So that's why Jesus speaks of these two realms here. He says, as in heaven, the realm of perfect obedience, everyone does what God says, so on earth, the mix, rebellion and obedience. And so we're saying with this, may there be more obedience in this world to you, Lord. And if we're saying that with any honesty, I think we're saying, starting with me, starting with me. So prayer is actually a place where we wage spiritual battles in our lives, like we were hearing uh, earlier. So here's an example. Uh, Lord, I am uh, furious and bitter against that person. Uh, I cannot find a good word or thought about them. But I know that you can. Uh, I know that you see them created in your image, precious, full of potential and value. And I want my desires, my attitude to be the same as yours. Let me see them and love them like you do. Your will be done. Or here's another example. Uh, Lord, I have been asked to give up this thing. Uh, and frankly, uh, I don't want to do it. I don't have a very good reason. I just, I just don't. I don't want to give out that piece of time or money or resource or interest or privilege or whatever. But I also know your will is for me to deny myself and follow you. So, Lord, your will be done. And if I can't get there today, get me there tomorrow. 
soften my heart, just mold my will to yours. That's the kind of thing that we're saying. We say, your will be done. And of course, in all of that, it is pretty meaningless to say passionately, your will be done, and then take no interest in what God's will actually is. So, your will be done, that attitude needs to be borne out in a, in a desperate, a real kind of committed search to, what does this book say? What have you said, God, is your will? What does it actually explain to me about how to go your way? And in the things where it doesn't really explain it, how can I think about those things, uh, whatever difficult issue they are, and work out your will? What does it look like, for example, to parent in accordance with God's will? Well, there's some good indications. It's not going to answer every question about whether you can have a little bit more on the Nintendo Switch this afternoon or not, or or whatever the kind of dilemma is. Um, But wrestling with what is God's will, that that is the look for a Christian who wants to say, your will be done. And of course, it's something total and encompassing. And here I'll leave you with an image I'm sure I've shared before. Imagine for a moment your whole life as a house. Okay, and this house has a number of rooms, and each of these rooms represents some element of your life. Okay, so you go to the front door, first room on the left is your family. The next room on the left is your uh, career. Uh, perhaps on the other side, that's your wallet, your finances, that room there. Uh, and then upstairs, you've got your friendships, uh, and your leisure time, and so forth. Jesus knocks on the door uh, of the house of our lives, and he says, can I come in? Front door, that's a relatively easy one to get started. Comes into the porch, sure. Um, and we sort of hang around there for a moment. And he's like, could I come in here? And, you know, the first room, it's usually pretty easy. Yeah, certainly, you know, we've got it all re- arranged for him. That's fine. We put him in there, quickly close the door, run by all the mess everywhere else, just ram that into the cupboard, just shut that there, right? Can he come out? Well, possibly he can come out and sort of see a couple of other things. Jesus says, I want to see everyone. I want to come into every room of your life. And you know the terrifying bit where you're like, oh, Jesus, is really messy in there. And you can't, no, no, no. I want to come in there. I'm going to see the mess. I'm going to pick it all up together. We're going to work this out, clean it up, and it's going to be in line with my will. When we say, your will be done, we are saying to Jesus, come and take possession. Be in every single room of my life. So as we wrap up, I just want to ask you, which, which room is next for you to open up? Which is the door where you're kind of standing in front of it, you know, pointing him down this way? And it's time to get out of the way and open up and say, your will be done here. You know, that's not something we can do on our own. That's why we have our uh, home groups. We get together, we speak to one another about what it means to follow Jesus and what his will is. Let me encourage you this week and to seek his strength as you work out what it means for his will, your will, to be done. Let's pray. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we pray that you would make us those who long for your kingdom. Give us a heart not just for our own purposes, but yours. 
Give us vision to see what you would do in our lives, our livelihoods, our neighborhoods, and our nation. And give us a passion for it. And then, Lord, let us say your will be done. Teach us day to day what your will is. And give us soft, obedient hearts to obey you and follow that will. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.